Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you or maybe a loved one snore at night? Is that noise so loud that occasionally you gasp for air? Well, you might just have a condition called sleep apnea, and there are a couple of different types of sleep apnea and causes But today we're going to be talking with Maya Alba Nordstrom. She is a nurse practitioner who has a special interest in sleep apnea in its treatment and management. And we're also going to be talking to Dr. Mary Worthen. She's an ENT surgical specialist. And we're going to talk a little bit about a new device that has come about that might be something some individuals could be a candidate for called Inspire, like inspiration, and how that may actually help folks if they can't tolerate the traditional treatment for sleep apnea, and we'll talk some more about how they even know they might have it. So welcome, ladies, to The Body Show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So happy to be here. Now, sleep apnea, I got to tell you, you know, people snore, and it happens. And sometimes you snore all night, and then you're getting enough air. But sometimes you have these episodes where you wake up kind of choking or gasping for air, or if your loved one is snoring, you kind of notice that, hey, they're not breathing, and you kind of push them on their side, and they seem to be a little bit better. What exactly is sleep apnea? Yes, well, sleep apnea is very common, and you can certainly have snoring and actually not have sleep apnea. But three of the what we call red flag symptoms for having sleep apnea is loud habitual snoring. Also, if you do, you know, have nocturnal gasping or choking at night, that kind of coincides with it too. Um, And along with the observed apnea where someone watches you sleep and it looks like you're not breathing. So a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I was watching my husband and he looks like he was holding his breath. And then all of a sudden he makes this (coughs) noise, okay. Uh, And then the other thing is also excessive daytime sleepiness. So those are the like red flags that we say for sleep apnea, but you certainly have more symptoms. Um, to be diagnosed with sleep apnea, um, you know, you have to have um, at least five events per hour of not breathing for at least 10 seconds, or your airways is, is obstructed and your oxygen level drops by a certain percent. So these are things that can be measured. Now, if you're yes. the person who's sleeping, you're not going to be the one noticing that your oxygen level goes down or that you're waking up. So is this something that you have to do a certain test for? Yes. And um, the first test we do is actually a home sleep study, which is really nice because a lot of patients are afraid and they say, oh, I don't want to sleep somewhere else because I can't fall asleep. Uh, well, fortunately, you know, technology has come a long way and we could actually do home sleep studies. Um, the most common one looks like a chunky like um, Apple watch and you just wear it for one night. Um, and then that's, you know, the first step we usually do. Now, I've heard that the new Apple Watch, which I don't have, but uh, now I, well, maybe I don't want, actually has some way that you can determine if you have sleep apnea. It has this new yeah, way that a, you can mm-hmm. you can do it, right? So there's, there's going to be a lot more wearables that are going to tell people if they have this condition. So if you were to have a home test and it were to say, okay, you have sleep apnea, is there a way based on the home test that you can identify if it's mild, if it's moderate, or if it's severe? Yes. And the way we go by is actually an index. It's called the apnea hypopnea index. 
Um, so patient with, um, how I mentioned before, at least five times an hour of apneas or hypopneas, where again, their airway is partially obstructed and their oxygen level drops and they may or may not wake up because of that. Um, if you do five to 15 an hour, that's considered mild sleep apnea. Moderate sleep apnea is 15 to 30, and anything above 30 is considered severe. So that would be 30 times within an hour Yes, that somebody is having this happen. Yes. It doesn't sound like you get restorative sleep. Maybe that's why they get excessively tired during the day. Absolutely. Yeah. So if somebody were to have this condition, the traditional treatment thus far has been to do something to help them. So there's surgical treatments, there's device treatments. What's the most common thing that's recommended? The most common is a CPAP machine, which patients are um, used to hearing. Um, so CPAP is a continuous positive airway pressure. It acts like um, a splint. So instead of your airway um, closing up or your tongue getting obstructed, um, the CPAP machine will push air into your airway and keep that airway open so you get enough oxygen and air to you know, the brain and the rest of your body. And the idea is that it's pressurized, so yes. you have these settings. So instead of you trying to keep those muscles active and or keep your body with the airway open, the pressure of the machine is helping to get it in. Yes. Now, there are other surgical procedures. There is a uvulopharyngeoplasty. I don't even know if I said that correct, Dr. Worthen. You're pretty close. Uh, pretty close? All right. What's the UP, real version? UP3 is easy enough. UP3, okay. Um, this is a surgery that ENTs typically do, and it involves actually removing parts of the patient's airway, and that being the tonsils as well as the soft palate. And so, as you can imagine, it hurts quite a bit. And patients have to be a specific candidate to, to achieve benefit from this surgery. Um, not everyone can get it. And typically, patients with really large obstructing tonsils will get benefit from this procedure if they have significant sleep apnea. But not everyone has large obstructing tonsils. So they typically we give them about 50% success rates with these procedures. And that's a procedure that anatomically changes your body. So you can't, like, put the stuff back when you took it out. There could be troubles. Exactly. It's all or none. We remove parts of their airway. So as you can imagine, it affects them while they're awake, not just when they're asleep. So, you know, there are significant complications that can happen with these procedures, such as scarring and bleeding as well. Well, let's talk about the masks. So... In the last couple of years, there have been some issues with CPAP machines and with the types of devices that people use. There have been a couple of recalls because of various different elements of the mask and the tubing and the machine itself. So when you have a patient who first gets diagnosed, let's say they're not a candidate for the UP3 Dr. Worthen just mentioned. If they're a candidate to use a CPAP machine... Is this something that they notice an immediate benefit or does it take them a little while to kind of get used to using it? It really depends. Um, a lot of patients who start off with having severe sleep apnea, when they get treated with CPAP, usually those are the patients who could tell the difference right away. When a patient has maybe you know mild or moderate, they might know the difference right away. Um, but it does take time to get used to a CPAP because essentially you know, you're wearing a mask and there's air going in 
almost, you know, unnaturally into your airways. Um, but what, what's really nice is the new CPAP machines, they um, have come a long way. So the pressures, we actually could remotely change them to the patient's um, comfort level. And they don't have to, you know, go back and forth and bring their machine to the um, CPAP supplier. We could actually, I could change it from, you know, if a patient sends me a message, I'll change it that night and they'll have the new settings. Or they'll, you know, a lot of times too, it might be a mask issue. Before, the only mask that patients could have is like the fighter jet pilot mask that covers their mouth and nose and people feel claustrophobic and they feel like they have a muzzle on. But the newer masks, they're so much more nicer. They're like just nose piece, you know, one strap. So there's different options to get used to it. But sometimes it does take a while. And insurance knows that too. So um, when you get a machine, insurance wants to make sure that you're using it. So they actually give you 90 days. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how we identify if someone's using the machine and how you can remotely change the settings. I find that fascinating. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Maya Alba Nordstrom in the, in the studio. She's a nurse practitioner with extra special interest in sleep apnea and the management of patients who have this condition. And Dr. Mary Worthen, she is an ENT surgical specialist. And we're talking today about the diagnosis and treatment of obstructive sleep apnea. Now, there's different types of sleep apnea. We're kind of talking a little bit more about obstructive mm-hmm. today. But right before the break, you were mentioning that you know, insurance wants to see, and in general, doctors also want to see that somebody who gets a machine and a device is getting a benefit from it. There's certainly an amount of time it might take to get used to it, but you don't want to invest a lot of time and effort and money into something that nobody's ever going to use. So so we do want to know that. But you mentioned you can change settings remotely. Is that through... Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, these are all things that are magical to me. Yeah, no, the new CPAP machines have built-in internal modems. So they're automatically connected to Wi-Fi. So if you bring your CPAP anywhere in the world, it'll work. Um, As long as, you know, um, I have access to a computer, I could log in to the cloud, you know, the website, and then I could change it. And I could also see usage data. But like you mentioned, if a patient's not even using it, <laughs> then it's... There's no Wi-Fi needed for that. Yeah. Because okay. the previous devices didn't necessarily have that capacity. Yeah, the older models, no. So the new models, you can identify. And the usage you mentioned, they want to see that somebody's continuing to use it. Are there ways that you can measure, like you mentioned that AHI, that apnea hypopnea index. If somebody starts off with pretty moderate or severe sleep apnea, you mentioned that's either 15 to 30 or greater than 30 events per hour, you could actually tell when they're using their CPAP if, in fact, they've reduced that significantly. Oh, yeah. Um, The actual CPAP machine, there's an algorithm on there. So it'll let us know what we call the residual AHI is with CPAP. So some patients, um, no matter how many times I change the settings, try a different mask, um, if I send them to an in-lab sleep study to do something called a titration, where I could specifically see what pressures work best for them, some patients can't always tolerate the, the CPAP. Um, but it's good that their machine will let us know, well, maybe they're tolerating their CPAP, but it's not, you know, um, treating their sleep apnea well enough. 
because our goal is always to get that AHI below five. Um, but sometimes that's just not always, um, we're, we're not able to do that. So if you identify somebody who you've tried to do the titration, you've tried to increase the pressure, you've tried to make it more comfortable, change the type of mask, and do anything you possibly can, then there there now are some other options. And we talked a yes. little bit about the UP3 as a major surgical procedure. Uh, Dr. Worthen, there are some other options now, and there's something that you've kind of spearheaded here in the islands. Yes, it's very exciting technology for Hawaii now. Um, so around four years ago when I moved to Hawaii, I had a lot of patients coming to my clinic with obstructive sleep apnea, and they weren't wearing their CPAP masks, and they came to me for surgical options. So I do an airway evaluation and realize, well, they're not a candidate for UP3, and then I had nothing to offer these patients. So I found myself sending all these patients away to live with a, a life-threatening disease. There's um, significant uh risk to living with CPAP or sleep apnea and not treating it. So I felt pretty bad about that, having nothing to offer them. So on the mainland, it's pretty much standard of care now to offer patients something called Inspire. It's also known as a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. It's a surgical treatment for patients with obstructive sleep apnea who are specifically not wearing their CPAP masks. So I decided I wanted to start a program here in Hawaii. I went to the mainland, I got trained, and it took about three years to actually get it going. Lots of work went into it. It's hard to get new technology, especially in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But now we have a, a functioning program, and it's been great. My first implant was in April, and we've done over 40 implants now, and patients are doing great. So it is an option for patients, specifically those who have moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea who are not wearing their CPAP masks. So CPAP really is the gold standard. I tell patients, Try your CPAP. Use your CPAP. Get creative. That's Avoid a surgery if you can. There's no need to do surgery if you can put the mask on your face. But pretty much everyone who has come to me has tried everything. And they'll say things like, I'm claustrophobic. I have anxiety. My spouse doesn't like the mask. And it's not just that they can't tolerate it sometimes. Tolerate it sometimes. It's their lifestyle. A lot of patients are pilots or businessmen. They travel. They're on airplanes. I have one patient who came and he likes to go hiking on the Appalachian Trail. They go backpacking. One guy, he goes off grid on the big island and he's not gonna bring a CPAP. So Inspire is a surgical treatment certainly for patients who either don't benefit from CPAP or they can't tolerate it, um, but it's great now that they have options. So you mentioned it's a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. Where's the hypoglossal nerve? So it's a pretty chunky nerve actually. It's very easy to find. It's right underneath the jaw. Um, so in the procedure, I would first make a small incision underneath the jaw and I find this nerve. It's very simple to find and I put a tiny little electrode around the nerve and that's what stimulates it because they found that the hypoglossal nerve stimulates the genioglossus muscle, which is a muscle that pushes the tongue forward. And when that happens, it's actually attached to the soft palate. So most of obstructive sleep apnea comes from the base of tongue and palate collapsing and blocking the patient's airway while they're sleeping. Um, so when we stimulate that nerve, it pulls the tongue forward, or the back of the tongue, and pulls the soft palate as well, relieving that obstruction while they're sleeping. That's similar to what CPAP does. CPAP pushes air into the back of the throat to open up the airway. This is just a nerve stimulator. And it's great because this is not new technology. It's not. It's nerve stimulation technology has been around for years. Um, it's been used in for seizures. I did these for um, vagal nerve stimulators years ago for patients with seizures. Um, pain, spinal cords, a lot of different things uh, have benefited from nerve stimulation technology. But it started around 2014, and since then it's skyrocketed. It's, again, like I mentioned, standard of care on the mainland for these patients because otherwise 
you know, they're doing nothing and they're they're slowly just chipping away at their lifespan and, and developing all kinds of uh, problems such as, you know, high blood pressure, stroke, horrible things, dementia, diabetes. It, it's, it's an awful disease to go untreated. So um, it's pretty exciting. So when somebody has this procedure, they have this little electrode that's implanted. Do they turn that on? Is there another device there that they actually have to to stimulate that nerve so when they're sleeping, they do something different than when they're awake? Right, so essentially there, there are three parts to the implant. I have, a, the, again, the, the tiny electrode that I mentioned goes around the nerve, and then there's an actual second incision on the chest. So typically it's all done on the right side. I make a small incision um, about five centimeters under the clavicle on the right, get down between two ribs, and there's a tiny probe that goes between the second and third rib, and it's fascinating. It actually senses breathing. So when a patient breathes in, it creates a signal by a wire that travels underneath the skin of the neck to that nerve, which stimulates the nerve to push the tongue forward, opening up the throat. So um, there, you do have to turn it on, but on top of that little sensing probe, there's actually a little battery pack. Um, and it's similar, I tell patients it's about the size of a silver dollar. It's similar to a pacemaker. You can kind of think of this as a pacemaker for the airway. You know, it's stimulating the airway to open up. And that battery pack goes under the skin. So everything's under the skin. The patient will have a scar. Typically, they heal really well. Um, but everything's hidden under the skin. And then the patients are given a little controller. And they just hold it up to their chest and turn it on when they go to sleep. A lot of my patients, they, they have to go to the bathroom a lot in the middle of the night because of the sleep apnea. And that's one common complaint I have. Patients are like, Doc, you know, I have to get up to go to the bathroom. i got to take the mask on and put it back on. And I, I can't see very well at night. It's just it's so much to deal with. They just throw the mask off. So this is great because they know they have to go to the bathroom. They just turn it on and go to the bathroom and then turn it or turn it off and then turn it back on. So, and maybe if their sleep apnea is treated, they don't have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. As much. Yeah. Exactly. So to turn it on and off sounds like it's pretty straightforward. Now I always think of things like something I would do. What if you lose your controller piece? I mean, you know, I just, I think about common things that would happen to me. Oh, for sure. What if you lose it? Can you get another one? You certainly can get another one with a prescription, and but your insurance won't pay for it, so it's about $300 for a new one. So, so don't lose it. Don't lose it, so right. Don't lose like it. your phone. It's cheaper than your <laughs> yeah. iPhone, at least. It's cheaper than your iPhone. You know what else is cheaper than? Those, those fobs that you turn your car on with. Oh, yeah. If you have oh, yeah. one of those push button cars, or even if you just have a regular turnkey, those <laughs> are seriously expensive. Crazy. And how would I know that? Well, you can guess. I ask questions about losing things because I've lost things. <laughs> I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Maya Albin Nordstrom and Dr. Mary Worthen about this new surgical technique that will help people to breathe well and hopefully treat their sleep apnea so they can get better rest and avoid some of the complications of not treating this serious condition. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian motor experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Maya Albin Nordstrom here. She's a nurse practitioner with expertise in sleep apnea, and Dr. Mary Worthen, surgical ENT specialist at Hawaii Pacific Health. And we are talking about... The different ways to treat sleep apnea. So first, if you find you have this condition, you need to treat it. It can cause serious complications, heart arrhythmias, high blood pressure, diabetes, 
It can affect your metabolism. It can do a lot of different things. Now, weight loss is always a good treatment for it if that's your problem. And that isn't for everyone. But if it is, then that is some way that you could potentially modify what's going on with your breathing at night. Now, CPAP machines, we talked, Maya, you mentioned the continuous positive airway pressure machines that help to really get this pressurized air into the system so that people can oxygenate. That's the whole idea. We need to keep our oxygen levels high enough so that we get adequate rest and our body isn't under constant stress trying to get more oxygen. Now, you mentioned that there's ways to test it. And so you can find out if somebody is using their machine and if they're responding to it. And Dr. Worthen, you mentioned that you can now use this hypoglossal nerve stimulator that can actually help people. So they could externally turn on this, quote, pacemaker for breathing. It was a great way to describe it. And then they can leave that on and they wake up in the morning, they turn it off. That's right. Do you do you have patients ever say it keeps them up or they feel anything different or they don't even notice? You know, I haven't because uh, it, it's awesome. You can stim- you can start the timer. So if you know it takes you 30 minutes to fall asleep, you can set the timer to about 30 minutes. And so it, it's made to turn on after you're already asleep. So I haven't I haven't had any patients who who it bothers or wakes them up at night, at least not like the CPAP masks. Cause That's the most my common, job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most common complaint I have is patients, they think that the CPAP co- affects their sleep. It fragments their sleep. It's uncomfortable. It wakes them up. So... That's the great thing about this is there's nothing on your face. You can sleep on your belly. You can sleep on your side. I know patients have a hard time if they're if they sleep on their bellies uh, wearing CPAP masks. So this just really gives you freedom. Now, Maya, they'll often follow up to see you oh, after yeah. Dr. Worthen does the procedure. And so in the process of that, they'll probably... Uh, demonstrate for you that they've been using it. Is there some, do you do the same sort of download? Is there a similar way to know, are they turning on their device and using it regularly? Yes, so the um, the remote control that they have actually um, hooks up via Bluetooth to their cell phone, which in then turn uh, uploads the data to the cloud. And that's how I'm able to see if they're using it, when they turn it on, how often do they pause it. So as um, you both were mentioning a patient, like do they notice, is it waking them up? Well, what's um, nice about the Inspire system, it is so individualized that if a patient says, oh my, it's kind of waking me up, I tell them, okay, let's just go down a level. So the remote control that they have is not just to turn it on and off, but it actually goes through different levels. Um, Because it is, you know, stimulating the nerve, when we turn a patient's device on, we're always going to start at the lowest level as possible and slowly go up from there. So and it just depends on their, um, you know, response to it, how what level that they go to. And we always could recalibrate it, we could always recalibrate it, where a patient says, you know what, Maya, I'm actually falling asleep in five minutes. All right, my, the start delay is only going to be 15 minutes then. Or if a patient says, well, I don't want to forget to turn it on. And I like watching, you know, the news. So okay, your start delay will make it 60 minutes. So it's very individualized. And with those different parameters that you can help them to set, are you seeing similar reductions in that AHI index that we talked about earlier? Yes, absolutely. So the goal is for always, um, whatever their baseline AHI is, we want it at least 50% of that, but also we want that AHI below 15. Um, With a CPAP, yes, our our goal is five and below, Um, but with the Inspire, it's 15, because really to be diagnosed with sleep apnea, your AHI really should be 15, but we treat patients with an AHI between 5 and 15 if they have underlying conditions or their symptoms are pretty severe. So actually patients with um, Inspire, 
you're actually not a candidate for Inspire if your AHI is between 5 um, and 15. It ha- it's for patients anywhere from 15 to 65. And actually, the F- FDA just approved it uh, for an AHI up to 100, which is nice. And we see that sometimes. Patients who stop breathing 100 times an hour. A hundred times, a hundred times. Well, an yeah, hour. their oxygen level like will be so erratic that it drops by either three percent or four percent of what their baseline is multiple times. Wow. So I would imagine the reason why you don't use Inspire unless you're fifteen or higher is because your goal with Inspire is to get it down to fifteen. So you know you may have this somebody who's sixty-five to a hundred times, and now we're seeing that they're down to much less than that. They're going to see some dramatic improvement. Mm-hmm. I tell patients, too, you know, some patients will never, no matter what you do to them, get their AHI less than 15 because of their anatomy. Maybe the shape of their jaw, the shape of their neck, the shape of their... If you have a large tongue in the back, there's only so much you can do. Um, So we see it if a patient had an AHI of 65 and now they're 15, that's, that's a great success. Dramatic improvement. Do you have statistics on how many patients are satisfied with using it? Uh, based on the studies, which there are over 200 peer-reviewed studies out there, um, around 93% of patients are satisfied. 93%. I'm, I'm curious, Maya, do you ever hear about the satisfaction rates with CPAP machines? <laughs> I don't know if it's 93%. It's definitely not 93%. I've heard a lot of patients who, they try it and they can't necessarily do that. I think so. there are only 60% or up to 60% of patients aren't actually compliant with their CPAP. Actually Is that right? using it, Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I do tell patients, like, definitely try to use your CPAP, but it's, Inspire is certainly better than nothing. Well, and nothing is not really a solution when you think uh, exactly. about the severity of sleep apnea for a lot of patients. So if somebody is concerned because they've been diagnosed with sleep apnea, they're trying to use their machine, how would they go about if they, if they found that they had difficulties or maybe their machine isn't getting them down to the levels that we expect? what would their next step be? Should, should, they, should they talk to their primary care provider, talk to their, to their pulmonologist or their sleep apnea sleep provider, or what would be the next step? Um, it depends on who um, ordered their CPAP for them. Um, so usually it is a sleep doctor, pulmonologist, NP, but a lot of the times these patients actually come from primary care, um, their internal medicine doctor, their family doctor, who doesn't always know how to change the settings, you know, offer different um, options. So um, the first thing is, yeah, ask your PCP, your primary care provider, can I have a referral to Maya at <laughs> and Dr. Warther? So, um, but yeah, uh, to to have that specialty look at the whole picture and it might be, oh, you're just not tolerating your CPAP because the pressures are wrong or you have an old mass that you've been using for five years. No wonder it's not working um, because, you you know, you you need a new mass, different mass, things like that. So kind of that troubleshooting aspect. Yes. Because, you know, when you say people who don't I'm not a sleep specialist, so I often send patients to see somebody who is to help them get the diagnosis and also figure out what else to do regarding the mask and do they need it and what are the pressures. And there's a lot of great equipment out there that gives you automatic titrating, but then how do you know if it's working? So <laughs> that's where I send folks to you to do the troubleshooting. And Dr. Worthen, you're the only the only ENT surgical specialist in the state that does this. Is that right? That's right. I'm the only person who has done this surgery here. 
And so if you if you get referrals, sometimes they're from your other ENT colleagues. Absolutely. And I, I love I love to see these patients. This is uh, my specific area of interest in ENT surgery. Um, and if the patients meet the criteria, I'm happy to see them. And then often, you know, if the patient has a recent sleep study, they're above the age of 18. Their AHI is at least 15, which means they have moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea. Um, their BMI is less than 40, then I'm happy to see the patient. I can always get them over to Maya because we, we work as a team. So I do the surgery, and then the sleep doctors who are trained in Inspire kind of manage the patient after that. But the procedure, once you come to me, um, I evaluate your airway, and then we do something called a diagnostic sleep endoscopy. It takes about 10 minutes because I need to evaluate your airway, and we do that at our surgical center and see if you're a candidate for Inspire. And if you're a candidate, we can get the process going. And the procedure, it takes less than an hour. It's an outpatient procedure, so they get to go home the same day. Minimal pain. Um, Patients can go about their normal lives after the procedure. Uh, It's great. And hopefully breathe better and have more energy and not have all of those things we talked about at the top of the show. All right, I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That's Maya Alba Nordstrom, nurse practitioner and specialist in sleep apnea, and Dr. Mary Worthen. She's an ENT surgical specialist at Hawaii Pacific Health. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you here next week right when we talk about some more topics, hoping to keep everyone as healthy as they can be starting now and through the rest of their lives. That's every Monday right here at 630 on The Body Show. See you then.